there is oftentimes a real bifurcation between who I am on stage and who I am in my regular life, you know, like cool, powerful Julia on stage and then like derpy weirdo Julia in real life. And I think that the guitar helps me bring those two together a little bit and find grace in life, like really knowing what I'm playing and really knowing my parts and like writing on the guitar and exploring the guitar helps me find a more graceful way of moving through the world. That was Julia Balin, and this is Shiro's, a podcast with a mission to turn up the volume of women's voices in music across genres and generations. I'm Carmel Holt, and what you're about to hear is a previously aired interview from my syndicated public radio show, Shiro's Radio. Shiro's is a deep dive into the experiences and perspectives of women and gender expansive folks in a still overwhelmingly male-dominated music industry. It's a space where we discuss challenges and triumphs, how far we've come, and how far we still have to go. Telling our stories is the first step to making music better for everyone. Julia Balin and her twin siblings, Daniel and David, are a power pop trio from New York City, raised by professional classical musicians. Julia started playing guitar when she was just seven years old, taught by her father. And while the elder twin siblings began playing in bands, Julia was exploring musical theater and started writing songs. Soon enough, Daniel and David decided to start their own project, The Balin Brothers, but wanting bigger harmonies, invited their sister Julia to join. And Balin was born, adding not just gorgeous harmonies, but dynamic, tight arrangements and a collaborative chemistry only siblings could have. Julia on lead guitar and vocals, David on drums and vocals, and Daniel on bass, synth, and vocals. This year marks a decade since their first live show together, the first of hundreds of shows before they landed their record deal with Fantasy Records and released the trio's first album, Thrilled to Be Here, in the spring of 2019. Now, Balin is back with their fantastic follow-up, Tired Hearts, and Julia Balin joins joins us as this week's Shiro in the Spotlight. Julia Balin, welcome to Shiro's. I'm so happy to have you here. Yay, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I know, this is a moment. I'm seeing you just a few days after the release of Tired Hearts. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's a big relief, a big like, oh. Yeah, exhale. Yeah, exhale. It's been a long time, so... So let's get into talking about this record first. There's some major differences between the first album and this one. You want to yeah. tell us about some of those new sounds, new vibes that we're hearing? Yeah. I mean, I feel like the world is a very different place. Mm. And like, we're all really different people from the last time we were releasing music. So like, I think this record really reflects that. You know, we like did it in a very different way. We like wrote a lot of these songs during the pandemic. And so we like couldn't perform them together or even play them together really in the room. So like a lot of them were built in Pro Tools or Logic. And then we went and did a lot of pre-production with Brad Cook, who produced the record and just edited the songs together. And so it was just a super different process from the last record where like we had toured these songs pretty extensively before we went in and recorded them with John Congleton. And I don't think there's really a right or wrong way. Like they're just really different methods. So it was kind of an interesting experiment for us. Now that you're on the other side of it, if you listen to the two albums, have you done that? Like an A, B? 
It's funny, like when you like finish the record and release it, you just never listen to it again. Like you're like, it's yours now. Like I know these as the live version. But, you know, I did go visit like a grandmother type in Hereford, England a couple of months ago and gifted her a CD of the last record. And like I had never had this experience, but she like had us sit down and listen to it all together. (laughs) So I was like just sitting there in Hereford in her drawing room, like (laughs) listening to the record. It was really painful, (laughs) but it was really fun. Like it was cool to hear those songs again after like just playing them so much and be like, oh, I totally forgot that that was a part of the record. Like that's such a great choice. You know, we're pop songwriters, really. We have a lot of singer songwriter 1970s influences, but in essence, we're really here to write pop songs. So I think that's the through line in these records is like there's just a lot of pop sensibility in them this record is like kind of more in the box than the last one it's a lot closer a lot more proximity which I I don't know I really like that I think we set out to do that I think we accomplished it absolutely since we're talking about the album and the songs maybe we should break here and play a clip of one of those songs is there any one of them that's like a good entry point to the record maybe something that came early on or was the first that's such a hard question well the title track is the first song that we wrote for this record really and it feels like an overture to me. That's how I see the song. And it's kind of a weird tune. It's a real fever dream. I love that song. I love the ending of it. It's so much fun to play live. If I'm leaving, I'm leaving. No tired heart still beating. Western winds, oh, you take me That's Tired Hearts, the title track to the new Balin album. We have Julia Balin here with us on Shiro's. I'm Carmel Holt. How do you guys write songs? Maybe there is no one way or formula or way that it happens, but how do these songs usually come together? Or how do these songs come together? For the most part, we each write on our own and then germinate ideas and then bring Uh them to the table and finish and flesh them out and edit them all together. So like, I would say that we're big song Uh editors. We really like hash it out when we're finishing songs. But, you know, they come in like various stages of formation. Something like These Bones was a song that Daniel really wrote on his own. And then we kind of came together and finished it together. But Nothing Left to Give, for example, I had like the chorus line only. And then David and I finished the chorus together. And then we sat around for like four hours and hit our head against the wall, trying to figure out what a verse would sound like and then wrote that together. So it it varies from song to song. Well, for those that aren't familiar or deeply familiar with your band, you are a trio of siblings and you're the youngest and your brothers, David and Daniel, are twins. Yeah. How much younger are you than them? I'm six years younger than them. Okay. Big, big younger child syndrome. Love that. You're the youngest child and you're the only girl. Yeah. It's super fun. It's Mm. funny though. Like I feel like we like pull each other in towards the middle. Like I feel 
like we're basically the same age at this point because we spend so much time together that I feel like I'm not like actually 26 or whatever. I'm like in a different stage of life than my other friends, I feel like. And having a very successful career at this stage also, I think, can contribute to that too. You learn a lot fast. Oh, yeah. Like it's such a weird life to live. Mm -hmm. You're like on the road all the time. So like in some ways, yeah, I feel older. In some ways, I feel like, oh, my God, I need to get my life together. Do the adulting things. Yeah. I'm like, geez, what's going on out here? Like (laughs) grocery shopping is so hard. (laughs) Like, why am I having a panic attack in Whole Foods again? So talk to us a little bit about the genesis of this band and of your personal journey with music. I know that you started playing guitar at a really young age and your parents are classically trained, if I'm getting that right. So our parents are classical musicians. They like do that as a living. They're like freelance musicians in New York. What do they Our dad's a cellist and our mom is a flutist. And then also like my dad has been a singer songwriter and and been in bands his whole life. So he taught me how to play guitar when I was seven-ish. And then I like didn't really take it that seriously until I was maybe 15 when I went to it on my own and like started figuring out songs. The classical music scene in in New York is very small and intimate and it's like very gig oriented. So like growing up, I was like such a night owl because I'd like wait for my parents to get back from the gig they were doing. And there was always classical music happening in the house. They do a lot of chamber music. And so we grew up with those rehearsals happening all the time in the living room hearing what that sounds like, being musical with other people, interpreting music as a group. And it's such dynamic music, too. So that's a big influence for us. And harmony, too, I would think, Mm -hmm. right? Really melody-driven music and just like these incredible long themes that run through a lot of these pieces. So Daniel is classically trained. David and I are not. David and I both did our own things. David went to film school and I like was in theater school for like high school. And I was like, I'm going to be in musical theater. And then I realized that it really wasn't for me. So at what point did the three of you start a band? Well, we started playing together when I was like a senior in high school or something like that. And I think Daniel and David, you know, they had been in like bands their whole lives and were kind of coming out of this era of basically like a college party band where they like had horns and would like play parties and stuff. And then they would kind of try and play these sensitive tunes in the middle of these sets. And it was like, what the heck is this? Like, (laughs) and I think they were just really drawn to something more tender. And I think they followed that and I happened to be a third voice in that. And I was, you know, starting to play guitar a lot more seriously then and did a lot of finger style playing. And so then we just started singing together. It's amazing. And your guitar playing is stunning. So incredible. Thanks. I hope that you get recognized for that as much as you should. <laughs> Thank you. I don't I always feel like a charlatan, but I try really hard. <laughs> Is there any part of that do you think that has to do with gendered stuff around being a guitarist? Like I feel like there's still yeah, instruments that aren't quite as normalized as being just whoever plays them, plays them. I feel like there's this weird thing where like, if you're going to be like a girl playing guitar, like you either have to be like jazz 
or like strummy strum. And uh-huh. I feel like I don't really fit into either. I feel like there are these weird boxes that people get put into as guitar players. And I don't know. I like I see a lot of both and, and I feel like I don't really identify with either. I like play really hard. I'm like a dynamic player. I I definitely like growing up had a lot of like gender dysphoria around the guitar, like not in like a very serious way, but I would have these very specific memories of like looking up while playing guitar and like seeing myself in the mirror and be like, oh my God, it's a girl. (laughs) (laughs) And like, I've definitely worked through that and found a really stable place for myself in that. I find a lot of power in playing. And I think developing my own style has been really important in finding my identity as human being in this world. I feel very connected to my instrument. And I think that there is oftentimes a real bifurcation between who I am on stage and who I am in my regular life. You know, like cool, powerful Julia on stage and then like derpy, weirdo Julia in real life. And... I think that the guitar helps me bring those two together a little bit and find grace in life. Like really knowing what I'm playing and really knowing my parts and like writing on the guitar and exploring the guitar helps me find a more graceful way of moving through the world. Do you practice a lot? Um, Not really. I like practice a lot when I know what I'm practicing. I don't shed every day. Right. But I like to write a lot and I really love to be prepared when I'm performing something. So I do practice my stuff a lot when I'm going to perform. But you know, I feel like this last year I sat down and like really tried to like learn the fretboard more. I do everything by ear. So I like feel very unfamiliar with the nomenclature of the fretboard. And I want to be more of a flexible player in that sense because I'm not as fast as I would like to be. So I guess in that sense, I've been practicing more this year, but I definitely don't sit down every day and like have a routine of practicing. Scales or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like I wish I did, but I don't. (laughs) So when you said that you have worked through the gender dysphoria around the guitar, is there anything about that journey that you can share with us that might be helpful to somebody that's experiencing that same thing? What worked for you? I mean... I think my perspective on gender changed. I think it's a very complicated thing for me. I mean, I identify as a woman and I feel comfortable with that, but my version of that is not always terribly femme and sometimes it is, but most of the time I feel most at home in a more mask kind of presentation of what being a girl is for me. So I think I'm just more comfortable with that now. And and I think that there's just like so much power in the guitar it's just a very powerful instrument it's just so badass to like be a girl and playing guitar I don't know like (laughs) and I think that that's just where you gotta land just like owning it yeah was there anybody that you could mirror yourself in that you could identify with as you were coming up Uh, not totally like I really love the guitar playing on let's dance the Bowie record so like I would kind of sit and learn those parts and then the stones and some of those parts. And then I was always a big Joni person, but she didn't really do like a lot of like lead stuff. She's just a really exceptional player and very different from what I do. But I just a really big fan of hers. And I think that Heart is a really awesome band. I wish that Nancy Wilson got more props. 
Oh, she's awesome. I mean, she's, she's incredible. Iconic. Yeah, really. I'm surprised people more people don't say that because like they I don't. feel like yeah, it's when always I was like, like Jimmy Page or like right. that's the quick answer. You're wearing a Zeppelin T-shirt. LOL. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I, I I feel like I had a moment. I was like, who am I? And then I like saw some interview clip with them and I was like, that is really, really cool. And they're also sisters, too. So it's yes. like. Yes. And they're they're just rocking out so hard and they're a really dynamic band. Yeah, I really feel like that was definitely a blueprint. I feel like kind of weird saying it because like I'm not listening to the catalog that much, but I just really respect them. Dreamboat Annie. <laughs> okay, I'll dig into it. Julia Balin's here with us on Shiro's. The new Balin album is Tired Hearts. Let's go to another track here since we've been talking a lot about guitar and how you feel about it and the power in it. What song are you proudest of in terms of your guitar work? Oh, in terms of the guitar work? Oh, I don't know. I feel like the song that I want to talk about is a song that I feel like very proud of. It's not necessarily like the biggest guitar moment, but... It's a song called Bracca, and I think is definitely a song that I was reaching for something like distinctly feminine, distinctly mother, daughter, heritage feelings in this song. And I remember playing the guitar track and just like getting really, really emotional about it that I like couldn't stay on the click. But to give you some context, it's called Bracca, and that's an acronym for a genetic mutation that I have that is hereditary that makes me very likely to get cancer at like any point in my life, breast cancer in particular. And my mom is a survivor of breast cancer. So like when we were in between pre-production and recording the record, I like found a lump in my breast and had to go and get like an ultrasound and it ended up just being a cyst, which was great. <laughs> but in the interim between getting those results, I wrote all of these lyrics as kind of a letter to my mom to tell her that it's okay and that she shouldn't feel guilty for any of it. It's all just an uphill battle. You shoulder the brunt because you wish it wasn't mine. But I take it every time. called Bracca, Nothing Takes Me Down. Julia Balin here with us on Shiro's. The new album is called Tired Hearts. My mom's a breast cancer survivor also. Been there. Too many, too many. I just saw something from the New York Times that women should now start getting mammograms at 40. They used to say 50, but should definitely start at 40 because yeah. the age is now getting younger and younger and younger. Yeah. For my personal journey, like I have to get MRIs every year now, mm -hmm. starting at 25 mm -hmm. and then mammograms starting at 30. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's definitely a big part of my life. A big part of my journey as an adult in this world and being a musician is very complicated in the healthcare system. It's just very difficult to get insurance that makes sense when you're like an independent contractor, I guess, mm -hmm. for anyone that's an independent contractor. I like spend most of my time on the road. I'm really only covered in New York State. So like that kind of doesn't really make sense for me. But, you know, it's just been very logistically challenging to get the health care that I need. And now more than ever, like women's health is in such a tenuous state. 
in this country for some reason. But, you know, Planned Parenthood is a really important resource for things like mammograms and screenings. So it's not just the fight for abortion rights. It's also like to make sure that we have all these other women's resources available to people. So that's very near and dear to my heart. And I just hope everybody can get the screenings that they need because it's a survivable cancer. There's this double bind or whatever the cliche is about not wanting to be called a quote unquote woman in music, right? But it is different though. Yeah, hell yeah. I had this revelation about motherhood recently because I've been talking Mm. to a bunch of women who pandemic times decided to have a kid when they thought that they never were going to as a touring musician. Yeah. And suddenly these light bulbs started to go off where I was like, oh, could that be part of why we don't see, I mean, aside from ageism, could that be part of why we don't see more women with longer careers and doing music forever? Because the industry is not, as of now, designed for us as women, as mothers, whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's such a complicated issue. Ageism and being an aging woman in this industry is really hard. Like it's hard to do it gracefully and it's hard to maintain whatever it is we have to maintain. I feel like I know a lot of people that do it really creatively. I think there are a lot of unconventional families that come about as a result of it. Like I think the women from I'm With Her planned their pregnancies to like coincide and then they like had all the babies on tour (laughs) on the bus, which is kind of iconic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people do because you kind of have to if you want to keep touring. But like that's a super intense bus tour, I I imagine, with like infants. and. Yeah, but that's also those are also both groups of women. Like what do you do when you're either a solo artist or you're touring with a band that's all dudes, which is often the case, or like one other, you know, keyboardist or whatever, that's a woman. You know, I recently heard that Maren Morris's crew like gets maternity leave now which is really, really cool. She's really awesome. And then, yeah. and I like have a f- bunch of friends in Nashville that are moms in tour and do the thing. And it's very cool. I think it's possible. It's also hard. Like I think for dads too, like it's really hard to like be the parent that you want to be and be on the road all the time. Like yeah. that's a really hard choice to make. And yeah. um, I think it definitely is a contributing factor, but I also think like there are more sinister things that work there like women don't get to age in the same way like people don't let women age and it's really annoying and it should stop immediately like (laughs) I think one of the frustrating parts about social media right now is just like you have to come fully formed to the world it feels like it's not like a lot of opportunity to evolve all the time or you have to like reinvent yourself entirely and like I don't feel like that's a great way to be like you shouldn't have to be fully formed at 18 to have a career in music I'm 26 and I still feel like I'm finding who I am as a musician like finding who I am as a songwriter and like why should that feel old that's an insane thing to say is old I don't know like I have this conversation with my partner all the time because he like doesn't work in music he's a total normie and (laughs) I'll be like I'm getting so old my life is over and he's like Julia, you're a child, like you're a baby, like, (laughs) and it's just very warped in this world. I was talking to somebody the other day that was saying like, when they were in an artist project with their boyfriend, they were getting all this feedback from the label saying like, oh, you guys should not publicly be together because it lowers your sex appeal. And like, yeah, and that's like, 
a really frank thing to say. And I think like in a lot of spaces, potentially true, but it's a deeply messed up thing to have is like a truth about your job that like, oh, if you're not available for your fans in this distinctly sexual way, then people won't like you. It's like you have to be ownable. It's like so upsetting. I don't know. That's just a really messed up thing to hear. And uh, I don't know if the industry is still like that. Like maybe that was just a while ago. I feel very cloistered because I'm in a band with my family. And so like we like miss a lot of that because we're friendly siblings, you know, <laughs> like from the block. <laughs> but, you know, like I definitely get the occasional DM of I'm in love with you. And like that's always like, oh, how about that? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> That's like an intense thing to receive. And I think that that's not age friendly if that's the currency that you're dealing in. And I really hope that we let people be more dynamic than that. There are so many more nuanced and beautiful ways to love somebody and to love their art and engage with their art and what they're saying. So, yeah, that's all really really important stuff to hear and to say and digging a little deeper. Is it fair to say that some of that has affected you personally? Yeah, you know, like I've felt insecure as an artist because I'm like in a stable relationship, which is like a very self-destructive thing to feel, I think. And like, I'm still like working through that. That's wild to like think that you're a failure in music because you're in a five-year relationship. Like that's really wild. <laughs> like that's, I don't know what to make of that, you know? I don't it's either. Like, yeah. And like, obviously, like, I don't feel that way all the time. But like, definitely that thought has crossed my mind. Like, hey, is there something like I'm missing? Like, is this career not for me? Because I like have this thing that's really great. Right. You're supposed to be miserable. Like, that's yeah, that like, nar the narrative. You're like the suffering, tragic woman on her own. I don't know. What yeah. is that narrative? Yeah. I mean, people love suffering. They love to hear a suffering song. <laughs> Right. And I, I don't know, like, I, yeah, I've definitely felt like, oh, like, I've never been like somebody that's super sexual. I mean, maybe this is too personal to say, but like, I've never been somebody that's like, that's like my main, like, I just don't think about it that much. I think that it's a form of currency in, in this career to be very sexual and to like have this extremely seductive thing going on. And I don't identify with that a lot. And I love to see it in other people, but it's not something that I am like going to bring to the table every day in like a honest, clear way. Like I am here playing music and being really weird most of the time. And I'm like here to love people and to like hear their problems and their lives and their journeys but I'm not really a seductress and that's always been like a point of insecurity for me mm. like is am I not built for this career because I'm not all of these things that make up a hot artist you know right yeah like I feel like that's a problem I, I don't know a, but yeah. it's also like there's room for everything so hey what do you know I just think it's really good to talk about. And I think it's a more common feeling than you might know. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm all, like, not to mention, I'm going to ban my brothers. Like, yeah. <laughs> we're not like, <laughs> like, nobody, nobody's asking for that. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, 
That's weird. <laughs> well, speaking of being in a band with your brothers, this is not the first time that I've done an interview with somebody that's in a band with their siblings. And one thing that I've heard is just like what you said about being cloistered, like a little protected. You have your own built-in gang, so you yeah. don't have to deal with a lot of the bullshit that other women might have to deal with. Yeah. In, oh, yeah. Doing your totally. Job. I feel like in the music industry, like there are a lot of female artists that are really successful. Tons. Like, uh, yeah. Uh, like so many. But I think like the thing that people really sleep on are like kind of like quieter jobs, things like engineering, producing, like things that are maybe slightly more technical. Like it's so so rare to find female engineers and producers and it's really wild like even still like it's just there's so few and far between and I think it's really a mentorship issue because folks really like to mentor people that remind them of themselves and there's so many guys <laughs> and uh, yeah I just think it's like there's not a lot of room there I think we try and keep a lot of space for each other in the band and mm -hmm. like I think Daniel and David have been very empowering for me and like teaching and David especially is like very technically oriented like his brain right. just works that way and like I think he's been really really great to have around to like teach me how to do a lot of these things and to like give me the space to like work out some technical stuff on my own to like be the voice in the room that does have authority on the producing front too like I feel like they give me a lot of space to guide us just like in terms of taste and creative vision so that's really important in our little world but yeah I definitely am the younger lady in the room sometimes I feel like oftentimes I'll be not only the only woman but the youngest person by far like by several years and that can be really difficult. I think it's really hard to move through that when you bring other people into this very intense and complicated dynamic that Daniel and David and I have where like we've worked out these even democratic things, you know? Yeah. And like we've got it worked out. But when you like start bringing other people into the mix, sometimes they don't always read that vibe. They don't always understand that we give all of each other a lot of space and that can be really overwhelming for people. Because it's a lot of voices to listen to, but it's just how we do it. We just need to give each other a lot of room. Yeah, sometimes it doesn't really work out. <laughs> and it's super awkward and I feel really angry and annoyed. And, but, you know, sometimes that happens with the boys too. Like sometimes people don't listen to them. Right. So I don't know. I don't know how much of it is a gendered thing and how much mm -hmm. of it is a dynamic thing, like a power thing. But, you know, there have been like a handful of times where it's been like, that was like a weird thing that you wouldn't have said to my brother's. Or like, you know, like some weird manager like when we were super young, kissing my hand and stuff and being weird, you know, that kind of weird, like yeah. typical 90s music industry stuff. Like, I don't know. There's weirdness. There's weirdness out there. But I do feel like it would have been a hell of a lot weirder for me if I was not always with my brothers. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's a good thing for sure. We have Julia Balin here with us. The new Balin album is called Tired Hearts. One of my favorite songs is Call It Like It Is. Can we talk about that song? Yeah. Call It Like It Is a song we wrote with the ex-ambassadors, Sam Harris and Adam Levin from that crew. So we did that like on Zoom and wow. it was really fun. They're great guys. Call it like it is. It was just like in my notebook. And we like wrote the song around that. It like came out very Halloween-y. We wrote the lyrics based on you, that TV show. <laughs> 
And then we brought it in for the record and, and Brad was like, you're going to like maybe have to play this song for the rest of your life. So you should rewrite the lyrics. <laughs> and so we spent a lot of time rewriting a lot of the verse lyrics and making it a little less Halloween-y, although the bodies in the basement lyrics stayed. It ended up being a song about feeling super gaslit by your industry, feeling like everybody is telling you that you're like family and that everyone is rooting for you and like meanwhile you don't really get paid for your labor and you have to use every ounce of your personhood to like sell yourself and I think my favorite lyric I don't know if anybody would ever like pick up on this but the lyric if all I ever am is copy then what is left to mine is a Nora Ephron reference because <laughs> she always said everything is copy and there's something so sinister about that when we as people like have to put ourselves on the internet in this very intense way where does that version of yourself start and stop and are we really consenting to that as artists Like it is from the new Balin album, Tired Hearts. Julia Balin, our guest today on Shiro's Radio. I'm Carmel Holt. It's been so awesome to hang out with you. Yay! And thank you for going to places that you didn't <laughs> expect to go. And I'm um, so happy that I got to do this. Yeah. Thank you for and having me. May, may it be the first of many times that we talk. I have a feeling that you're going to have a very long career and hopefully I still will too. Before we wrap up today, if you would indulge me in a final exercise that I've been doing at the end of each interview, and I call it the Shiro's Magic Wand. I've been told that this is a very heavy wand, but if somebody were to give you a magic wand, a Shiro's Magic Wand, and say, Julia, with this magic wand, you could change anything at all in music for women, genderqueer, non-binary folks, what would you change? What's That's like the first Easy thing? question. That's oh, an easy question. Great. Unionizing. We need to unionize 100 yes. percent. That's like my biggest dream for this industry is that people are able to organize and like advocate for themselves. We like need it desperately. The WGA is like gold standard. We need it 100 percent. That's my first easy answer. Done. That's yes. It. Love it. Julia Balin, thank you so much. Take us out with another song. What would you like to end with today? Nothing left to give. Let's do it. Love that song. I got nothing left to give, but that's so
with thanks once again to Julia Balin. Thank you for being with us on Cheers. Thank you for having me. Many thanks once again to Julia Balin for being with us. The new Balin album, Tired Hearts, is available now on Fantasy Records. She Rose is produced by me, is mixed and mastered by Kelly Drake. Our original theme music is by Lucius. She Rose is also a nationally syndicated radio show. You can visit SheRoseRadio.com to find out more and support our work with Patreon or merch from the She Rose shop. Keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Carmel Holt or find us at She Rose Radio. And please consider leaving us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast that helps us grow and bring you more Shiro's. Until next time, remember, music is our superpower. I'm Carmel Holt. Thanks for listening.